welcome to We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I will be your host for today, or this evening, or this morning, or whenever you happen to listen, because after all, it is your podcast. Today is going to be a quick start on the kickstart episode. And what we do when we have a quick start on the kickstart episode is that some people are out there running their kickstarter campaigns right now, at this minute in time. And sometimes what we like to do is we like to get somebody on who is in the middle of their campaign and have a conversation, a little chat with them about their campaign, about themselves, um, and about the, it gives them a chance to actually have a, a chat about the game and, and you know, um, raise a bit of awareness about it as well. So joining me is a gentleman of by the name of Mike Coleman. And Mike Coleman is from Secret Weapon Games which I'm intrigued to find out what that's about. And he is here to talk about Rebels of Ravenport, um, which is in the middle. It's got eight days to go as we're recording this. And so, hello, Mike. Hey, Richard. Hey, everybody. How you doing? <laughs> we'll just wait for the people to answer back. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> nothing. It's all right. They do the same with me. If I've said hello for hundreds of episodes now and... I'd probably be more shocked if I kind of went, hello everybody, and in the back and I go, oh! <laughs> but how are you doing? I'm great, are how good? are you? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a good 9.6. Oh wow, it's Chris, very specific. Christmas coming up. I got the, um, I took delivery of the, the 1980s cartoon, The Thundercats, um, the entire box set of Thundercats cartoons. So there's about... 2,800 hours of cartoon, <laughs> no, minutes rather, to watch, so that's a lot of, that's a lot of um, cartoon to watch. So Yeah, you got your work I'm cut look- out for you. I'm looking forward to it, because right. it's been a while since I kind of, I kind of watched it. Um, the reason that we do this, as we say, is we just, there's just quite simply not enough podcasts out there about board games, and there's certainly, apparently not enough podcasts out there from Scotland, because there's us, and there's another podcast out there, which is the Unlucky Frog Gaming Podcast, which you should check out. But I have reason to believe that there's an English guy on there as well, so I need to need to check before we can fully qualify them. Another reason that we do this is because um, Mike was posting on Facebook, and he was talking about his game, and as usual, I went, oh, that looks interesting, I'll have a word with him. <laughs> so I sent him, a, I sent him a message on Facebook, didn't I, Mike? You sure did. We uh, we got to chatting. Yeah. And now you're here. So um, what we like to do is we do like to find out a little bit of history about um, people's kind of involvement in the hobby. So do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into the, um, I guess, the pressed and printed trees um, sure. that we call board gaming? Yeah, well, I've been a gamer all my life. Um, so it's been a mixture of video games and board games uh, since I could uh, pick up a controller. I got the regular Nintendo back in uh, 1989. So I, right. was, uh, I was three years old then, showing my age a bit. But uh, that, was, uh, that was my introduction into, uh, into gaming. Uh, and then from there, it's, uh, it's my brother and I, and we've always played uh, Dungeons & Dragons, Magic the Gathering, um, video games here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if I were to run into somebody from high school, the thing that yeah. they would remember me from was, uh, playing Tony Hawk's pro skater. If you're familiar with that franchise at all. Oh yeah. Yeah. So when I was, when I was 17, I entered a tournament cause I would play online. The community was really small and these were mm. like the best people that would play the game. So I know there was a huge offline community, but online it was maybe a couple hundred people. So I entered this tournament, and I ended up winning the whole thing, and I got to meet Tony Hawk and uh, really? play on the uh, the Jumbotron at this big skating event um, oh, at, uh, at the uh, what was the MCI Center in Washington, D.C. So uh, that was like uh, one of the highlights of my gaming career. But <laughs> that, that was exciting. So that was, uh, you know, fun for video games, for, you know, getting into the cardboard side. Um we're playing right now a few games, Ascension, Coup, uh, Seven Wonders, Citadels, uh, Saboteur, I think are some of the ones that we pull out a lot these days. And um, it, it's usually my brother and I and a few of our friends growing up that we get together and play 
uh, every few months or so. So uh, in playing these games, you know, we all have a lot of fun. We, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're close friends, so we're, we're allowed to, you know, really make each other upset and do whatever it takes to get under the other guy's skin. Uh, mm-hmm. But I wanted to create a game that uh, had all the competition and, and strategy of these games that we were playing, but didn't have quite as much as the take that. Uh, I designed Rebels of Raven for specifically to not have a traditional take that mechanic and so that you cannot lose basically any of the resources or any of the cards that you've acquired throughout the course of the game. Um, so I, I built it to achieve balance by kind of like what I call opportunity denial. Like you can't take away what your opponents are able to do and able to produce, but you can deny them of the opportunities that will synergize with their strategy. Um, and, and you can also shift your strategy towards one victory condition or the other um, to kind of uh, circumvent them from, from winning the game. I'm wondering at the moment, what was the biggest combo score you got in Tony Hawk? And did you... You know how you had... Because <laughs> I've dialed it back. That's fine. Because you like went, yeah, yeah, champion, Tony Hawk, uh-huh. the Jumbotron. I was like, hang on, hang on, Mike, uh-huh. come back. All right, re- reeling it back a little bit here. Reeling it back a little bit. Let's talk, okay, about the, the fated, the kind of the hangar level. Oh, okay. Ooh, yeah, you know the hangar level. Well, that's Tony you... Hawk 1. That's the original. Yeah, yeah, because did you play that? Or I, were well, you that was one of the unlockable levels, and I don't think I fooled around on that as much. For me, it was <sighs> it was the first two levels. It was warehouse and it was school. Uh, so, oh, yeah. Yeah. so on school, or okay, on school, I definitely beat 1 million points, um, and that was pretty high back. In, in Tony Hawk 1, just getting 1 million points. And Warehouse, I think, maybe 600,000. Yeah. B- but, uh, did you... Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, did you get to the point where you would begin a run? And if you began a run, and if you made a slight slip-up of that run, you would start, pause it, restart the level again, and kind of learn it that way? Or would you do all the way through to continue to practice the run? Uh, not only would I start and restart, that's basically exclusively what I would do. I mean, I had my entire run mapped out, so if I didn't uh, if I didn't hit it perfectly, you might as well just uh, just pause and restart at that point. Because you would have some days where you were just like, you got to the point where your thumbs were just like, oh yeah. my goodness, I can't even move my oh, thumbs yeah. anymore. Oh, yeah. that, that would be the one time that you would be like, um, I've just, you know, I've nailed some additional additional combo yeah that's just netted me a whole pile of points i did the same i used to play tony hawks a lot but i liked the kind of the warehouse it was the warehouse level with the revolving fans in it and Uh it was kind of like one of the first levels that you played. oh yeah and it was always the really important ones and stringing everything together in the moves and then grinding and then doing tricks off the ground and back into the ground and getting the points again what was it what machine was it you were playing on was it playstation PlayStation. Yeah, they've never managed to do another Tony Hawk's. No, that, we'll that, talk about the whole we'll franchise game, uh, kind yeah. of fell off the cliff because they made a bunch. They made up to eight or nine of them in the series, um, mm. and then it just kind of, uh, you know, kind of like the Guitar Hero series. I know Activision had that as well, and it just you know they're basically remaking the same game every year. People are buying it, and eventually they just stop putting the effort in, and people stop buying it. So. The the did, first six yeah. or seven were excellent, I would say. Here's the thing: Would you think ever about doing a, like a little skateboard game yourself, as in an actual board game type skateboarding game type thing? Maybe a dexterity game or something. Ah. Like that. As as have you ever thought about that at all? Probably not. Uh, you <sighs> know, as much as I love the days of Tony Hawk, it's not as much of an influence in my life these days. <sighs> The biggest accomplishment, I would say, yeah. to close out this topic, was a billion yeah. points on Tony Hawk 4. So, And I practiced that for months. <laughs> I got a billion points, and that was the highest score I ever got. And that was about a 13-minute combo. If it, you know, if it had been like 10 years later, you would have been doing like the... Or 20 years later, you'd be doing the Twitch streaming. 
Yeah, I know. I think I missed my generation. If I were if I were born 15 minutes earlier, you know, all this uh, all this desire and aspirations to play video games at a high level, I could be doing something with it. You'd be like that. You'd be like that. Welcome to my channel. I'm Secret Weapon Cole Moon. Joining me today, let's get some Tony Hawk's. Booyah! <laughs> right, right on. Drop us $5 right now. Boom. There you go. That's it. But then you go because you'll miss your chance. You know, that's it. That's that. You know, that's how it goes. But, you know, maybe if they bring out another Tony Hawk's game, maybe your time will come and you'll be like, step aside, kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, I I'm do dream about it. You know, some kids that just <laughs> pulled out the PS2 that are like, oh, I'll screw around with this game. Here, old man, you want to take a shot? It's like, boom. It's just like fire coming from your fingers, electricity. Everybody's hair is standing on end from just the pure power that you're exuding over your control of it. And people are like going, wow. Yeah. And then you just walk out, you throw the, you just drop the controller like somebody dropping the mic and you just go, there's like 10 million points on there and you're just like, that job done. Mm-hmm. Laters, I'm out of here. Yeah, dream on, right? <laughs> it still might happen. You never know. There is, there is. You know, we're due a decent Tony Hawk's game potentially, or a decent skate game, and you might just be the man that's going to make this kind of an alternative kind of career. But <laughs> that is not the trouser leg of time career path that you're kind of looking at at the moment. No, not currently. Because <clears throat> I mean, is there any? You mentioned games that you've been kind of playing so are you a kind of a a more of a kind of a casually type person or do you like the kind of the big box stuff as well i mean what's your kind of your your jam and your bag at the moment i'd say we're probably more casual um you know i play a lot of games with my wife too and she doesn't Mm -hmm. like to get into a whole lot of the really deep strategy games um she'll go about as far as pandemic and we love playing pandemic together because it's a cooperative game and it's usually something different every time uh, and it's mm-hmm. a lot of fun, but I would say generally we we don't our gaming group doesn't expand on our games quite as much as we as much as other groups would. Um, you know, we kind of uh, we have the games that we like. We introduce some new ones here and there. We probably introduce a new one every time we get together, but no more than that. Um, yeah. So we we kind of have the games that we like to play, and we. We branch out uh, a little bit here and there, but we don't uh, have like dozens that we pull off every time we get together. No, I think it's difficult. Is if you've got like a five or six hour window, you end up committing like if you commit half that time to actually learning a game, mm-hmm. as opposed to saying, "Hey, everybody, want to play King Domino, or do you want to play, you know, do you want to play Coup? Do you want to play Resistance? You know, anybody up for One Night a Werewolf and Focal? Yep, yeah, let's just get all that done, and you can get it done, and everybody's playing kind of straight away. Yeah. And sometimes it's difficult to kind of get a new game, unless, I mean, sometimes if we're playing a new game, we'll prepare. You know, everybody yeah. will go away the week before, and we'll stick on a bit of, you know, we'll get some Rodney King on, we'll get some, you know, we'll get some Michael May, who can play that game, you know, or... um. Just to get a bit of understanding at the, you know, unfiltered gamer folk like that, would you know we'll get a better understanding of the kind of the game before we rock up, because then you have to deal with the rules, and all it right. takes is one one misunderstanding of the rules, and that can kind of kind of ruin the game. But where'd you go from kind of playing? I mean, what first made you think um, I can actually put something together? Uh, let me sound a lot smarter than I actually am and, and quote Einstein on this here. He says, the monotony of a quiet life stimulates the creative mind, right? So, you know, I, I told you before we started here that I work an office job and it can get monotonous. It can get, uh, you know, tedious and, and routine. So as I'm you know, I've, I've been surfing the web for a while. I've got free time. I've got downtime. I want to do something that, uh, you know, is, is creative. And I want to put my creative brain to the test. And I thought, all right, <laughs> well, I'm going to really take a stab at doing something uh, that's, yeah. that's all my own, that I'm going to create and put some time and money into it. I want it to be about something that I'm passionate about. And I figured, all right, that's gaming, cool. that's what I'm passionate about. And don't know how to code video games, so I went to, uh, <laughs> to, to crafting board games. Well, it's like Mark Wahlberg and the other guys, and he's like, "I'm a pe- peacock. Yeah, <laughs> I must be free. <laughs> I must be free." 
I just imagine you standing up in the office, just throwing down <laughs> the computer to one side, grabbing a pen and some paper, wrapping it under your arms, and going, I'm a game designer. <laughs> <laughs> I must be free. No, not like, not quite to that extent, but just, uh, you know, building just over time. <laughs> just, just, I mean, it's like, uh, Deirdre will walk up to you. Did you get the final figures together? <laughs> no, I didn't, Deirdre. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out this this risk and reward um, strategy on this game I'm making. Will mm-hmm. you leave me alone? Yeah, I'm in I'm in Windows Paint right now, uh, putting together some <laughs> prototype graphics. So if you could just uh, email me, I'll be right back exactly. to you. Cancel my calls. <laughs> I'm working on statistics and dice. Right. Well, that's the good part because if I'm in Microsoft Excel working on statistics and probability, everyone walks by and is like, "Okay, Mike." Keep up the good work. Exactly. I see you doing your spreadsheets. (laughs) Do as I say, not as I do. Yes. But I mean, you. I mean, were you? I mean, where's the inspiration come up? I mean, did you have several ideas? Did you have like one idea? Yeah, this one is actually my third. So I've been designing games for probably three, four years now. And Hmm. um, I need to mention my brother because he is a big influence in this. Um, My brother is actually, I like to refer to him as a professional dungeon master because he has been DMing our games all life and he has taken the Kickstarter himself a few years ago starting selling uh, custom-made D&D adventures and campaign settings. Um, So his his company is called Dungeons on Demand for anybody that wants to check that out. So he kind of blazed the trail for running Kickstarter campaigns, as it were. Um, So, you know, he started doing this in maybe 2014, and he kind of gave me the idea and the motivation to go ahead and and try to create something and put it it out there on Kickstarter. Um, So I knew that that was something that I wanted to do. And then the, the first game that I developed was called Glyph Warriors, this was a, like a, a tactics strategy game, team versus team, that was spun off a game that Dan and I had crafted when we were kids. Um, so I was mm-hmm. like, all right, I'll start here and see how it goes. So that was my first attempt at actually creating a board game. And it had some issues. It was, uh, it was pretty complicated. There was like a 10-page spell book. Uh, so I would, I, would take it to, uh, I would take it to these public playtesting events, and I would be super excited. Um, and, and generally, people were excited to play it as well, but it just took a while to explain, and people didn't quite get the strategy immediately. You know, it was it was a little too deep for people to really, uh, you know, pick up right away. So I said, all right, maybe I'll, I'll try something different, and I'm going to try and make something that has as much strategy as possible, but I could bring it to something like this, explain it mm-hmm. in a couple minutes, and people would be all over it. They know how to play. They're already formulating strategies in their head after I finish explaining to them the rules. Um, and I, uh, I, I thought that if I were able to kind of communicate how to play in the Kickstarter video, people would really appreciate that as well. Um, in my experience, whenever somebody explains the rules of the game to me, then I get really excited and think, all right, I'm going to do this and that, and that's how I'm going to win. So I'm thinking, all right, if I can get the basics of how to play. And, and if you watch my two-minute Kickstarter video, that basically tells you how to play. There's some more stipulations surrounding gameplay that's written out in the rulebook. But if you watch the two-minute video, it's it's pretty simple to learn. It doesn't bombard you with rules. So I, mm-hmm. I, I feel that if people will watch that, then they'll know how to play, and then they'll already say, all right, here's how I would, here's how I would approach this game. So... That's a, a bit on my uh, my marketing techniques right there. <laughs> I mean, um, one thing I really like about it is the art. Mm-hmm. I mean, was that... Everybody loves make, the art, yeah. Did you make a conscious decision from the beginning? I mean, your brother, was it Dan? Is yeah, your brother, yeah? Dan, yeah. Um, did he kind of advise you on that, say, get your art sorted? Or was he like, you know... Um, did Was he kind of quite proactive with giving you kind of advice on how to present it and things like that seeing as you've done the campaigns before well surprisingly no um the art i pursued on my own um i i found a freelance artist on upwork.com and i looked over his portfolio and i said this will be perfect if i can get this guy it'll be perfect and uh, i sent him a message and he said oh this is great i'd love to do it i think my style fits it really well and 
uh, it was it was a really good relationship that I have with my artist. Um, you know, he's uh, he's based out of the Philippines, so I'm just basically saying, all right, here's the lore of the game, here's the universe in which it takes place, these are the characters that I want to have in the game. So just doing this all over the, over the web, and uh, he pretty much brought it to life. So really happy with the artwork, and everybody seems to love it. Yeah, I mean, it is, um, it's very cartoony, but it's the color on it is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I'm a big, I'm a, you know, I'm a bit of a, an art, not an art connoisseur, but I like, you know, there's certain graphical styles that I really like, and I like something that's colored. I've been playing too many video games that I think I sometimes need to walk away from, like, I don't need dark greys and mm-hmm. dreary greens mm-hmm. and kind of like, you know, kind of blacks and browns kind of in the color palette so when i see something like this it's kind of like yeah i mean this is something that always draws me to board games but this is this is pretty it's pretty pretty decent yeah it's very Um, vibrant i I wanted the uh the art style to kind of reflect the uh intensity of the game mm -hmm, mm -hmm. did you i mean you've this is something you've obviously had to pay out on yeah yeah i I hired the artist right Uh that's not free (laughs) <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> I mean like a lot of um, Kickstarter people doing it for the first time have you been surprised about the kind of the initial investment that you've had to pay out because um, I was listening to a podcast earlier today because I do listen to podcasts but I mean um, <clears throat> the kind of the entire pod- Kickstarter kind of movement seems to have moved from here I have an idea, give me some money to, here is entirely my business plan, and right. here's how I'm going to execute it, and right. here's a prototype version kind of thing, and here's all the, everything. Here's a practically the game that you're going to be getting, because I, I need to send out pretty much made copies to reviewers in order to get kind of any type of attention. Um, so have you been, I mean, have you been surprised about kind of the amount of money you've had to put into it to get up to the level where it was, or would you had you already kind of planned that kind of? I, I had uh, I had planned it out. Um, I hmm. pretty much knew what I was getting myself into. Of course, I set a, a budget and then gave a pretty big buffer for miscellaneous expenses. Um, uh-huh. And part of the reason that I did that was I needed to pitch it to my wife and say, "Hey, listen, I've got this idea." <laughs> This is our money now, and uh, I want to spend a good chunk of it. Uh, so here's my plan. So I put that together and said, uh, here's the amount of money that I want to spend, and um, here's the amount that I want to make. But uh, at this point, I think you know, if I'm just breaking even on this first project, I'd be thrilled because I just want to kind of get my foot in the door, get this mm-hmm. learning experience over with. And uh, you know, if I were to go through this again and do a different game, I would do so many things differently. And, probably so much better so you know um i'm close to 60 percent funded with ravenport i feel like i'm going to get a pretty big boost um in the Mm. last 48 hours people tend to pick up uh on games that are ending soon um so if i if i hit my 10,000 goal i'll I'll just about break even which i'd be thrilled with was it um i mean was it important to kind of keep the funding budget kind of as low as you as you possibly as you possibly could or have you kind of gone for a budget which will give you a little bit of kind of leeway no it's it's pretty much as low as it can be um now now here's the thing because manufacturers will do typically a minimum order of a thousand of these units um and Uh i actually found a manufacturer that'll do 500 so my minimum order is going to be 500 units um and for a first-time creator, it's it's hard to get 500 people. I mean, I'm not going to come anywhere close to 500. Um, so if I could just get maybe 250, 300, mm. maybe I won't even break even at that point. But if I hit my funding goal, then I've got an extra 200 copies, and I can sell those on Amazon or just directly from my own website or something like that. So maybe I won't yeah. completely recoup my investment by the time the Kickstarter funds, but I'll, I'll have the means to do so. Uh, once I get manufacturing done with. Okay. You said, oh, I'll do things differently. As somebody who's kind of looking at this from kind of being halfway through and getting towards the kind of the end of the campaign, what are the key things that you've kind of learned so kind of learned so far that you would have done slightly differently? Um, here's the biggest thing. 
When I was mm. new to Kickstarter, I thought, okay, you put this video on Kickstarter, you make everything look gorgeous, you have a good game behind it, and people just eat it up. And it's really not the case. It's not like a, you know, it's mm. not like Kickstarter is this brilliant marketing platform that's going to connect you with hundreds and hundreds of people that are going to back your game. It, it, it does a great job, but really the yeah. biggest thing I think I was missing on was just getting the game in front of as many people as I can. Um, I feel like I could have done a few more reviews. I could have sent more prototypes out to people to get reviewed. I should have started making those uh, connections earlier in my uh, pre-campaign uh, phase. So I think that the biggest thing for me, if I were to, to do another game, would just be to you know take it to as many conventions as possible and get as many review copies out there as I can. Um, just because all that kind of trickles down to to people that are potentially interested in the game. Yeah, I mean, it becomes like a second job. I mean, I know oh, yeah. people that are constantly out there. I mean, even in the UK, I mean, there's guys that there's a convention coming up and you can guarantee that they are kind of always there, kind of putting the name out, getting the word out, you know, play testing, almost kind of like selling the concept to the game on a person-by-person basis. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of like marketing to those people and making sure you kind of stay in their face and things like that. So it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing. I think it's a difficult thing to do. And hats, hats off to anybody that does it because I don't. I mean, we joke about inventing all these games on the show, but I, you know, I, the the prospect of I, to be honest, of putting a game out there and then having people making a decision to back it. That's. Um, it's different. I mean, I could put this podcast, I could put podcast after podcast out, and it, it's out there. You know, there's no, you cannot stop me. Right, right. Kind of thing. You know, but if it was a case of, well, tell you what, the next podcast gets released if we have, say, 200 people saying they want to see the next episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a completely different kind of ballpark, and I'm not sure... You know, what happens if you go out there and you get 105? Right. <laughs> it's like, I'm not, you know, so hats off to anyone that's doing Kickstarter, you know, regardless if it's their 25th time or or if it's like their first time like yourself. I mean, we recently had kind of like James Hudson on um, talking about Guardian's Call saying that, you know, there was a couple of missteps he made in terms of what he thought would happen with the campaign. So I think, um, I mean... We've had cases of people do really, really well in the campaigns. We've had people in the cases that they haven't made their funding go. They've come back three weeks later, and then all of a sudden they've smashed it for no other reason can, yeah. can whatsoever. I mean, obviously, in terms of getting the word out, in terms of review copies, how easy? Here's the thing: how easy is it for someone like yourself who hasn't done kind of like the campaign before? Did you? What was kind of like attitudes like from kind of like your YouTube? creators and kind of reviewers and stuff like that was everybody kind of quite welcome or did you find that are there some people that are just now just saying like listen i can't do any more kind of previews and kickstarters and stuff like that yeah i think most of the places that i looked into would have it stated specifically whether or not they do unpublished previews so a a lot of uh, a lot of the really higher uh publicity uh, reviewers are, are not going to be doing uh, unlaunched Kickstarters uh, and, and definitely mm. not if it's you know a complete stranger like me just because then they'd have a dozen people every day that are putting their game up for the first time and uh, they want to have this uh, you know somebody like like Tom Vassell reviewing it now I know Tom does the uh, the crowd surfing um, yeah. video which is which is really cool I looked I'm not sure if mine is on the latest one um, I need to check. Uh, I think he posts those on Tuesday, doesn't he? I think so. Yeah. So, so I'll have to check we'll have... and see if it's on there. But uh, either way, I got uh, I got the Undead Viking to review. Uh, Lance Mixter. Mm-hmm. He he said he and his daughter really enjoyed it. They played it like ten or twelve times. He told me, um, yeah. and I got a couple other reviews out there on some blogs. So I, I think I did a, a decent job of just at the very least establishing credibility. Um, so that yeah. people could read through a, two or three reviews. Um, but, you know, if you send it out to a dozen people and then they've all got their own followings, you've already got uh, a bunch of people's eye. So that, I think, is uh, maybe a misstep that I took in this campaign. You know what? It's like one of these... I think the thing with Kickstarter, though, is you can't, 
you can't really fail at a Kickstarter if unless you stop. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't cost any money to put it on Kickstarter, so. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's that's the kind of the idea behind it, but as you probably know, and probably as your wife knows, nah, there's definitely money, <laughs> there's definitely money left the bank account in putting this thing together. Yeah, but kind there's thing, but... there is money involved, but uh, listing it on Kickstarter is free. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but no, I mean, as I say, as you know, you, you as I say, you can try again, keep going, and then see what happens. Right. I guess once you're up to try seventeen. <laughs> Or eighteen, and it's not funded. Then you got to think: Hmm, is this game really gonna gonna go anywhere? <laughs> but there's been a, the number of guys, as I say, I've I've seen have um, you know have done really really well in like the last couple of days and just stormed it. And then the guys all that have come back again and, and and stormed it again if they haven't. So it's all it's all kind of good. Yeah. But let's talk about the mechanics a bit. Okay. I mean. As I say, the game looks lovely. It looks stunning. Um, and when I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely got to speak to Mike about this because this looks really, really good. But tell us about the mechanics. What, what do you do in, in in Revels of Ravenport? I mean, where did, where did the name come from, first of all? Did you just kind of... Did you play about with a couple of names? Or? Uh, yeah, at first it was called uh, Rebel Guild, right? You have your Guild of Rebels. And I thought, all right, you know, that's what I'm going to start off with. I can do a little bit better than that. Um, but, uh, eventually I just started coming up with names. I was thinking, um, you know, maybe, maybe it'll be a port town to give it a little bit more character and maybe I can have like sailors and stuff in there as the rebels. Um, Mm. and then I kind of went with that and I drew up the whole map of the, the continent. I'm not sure if you saw that on the Kickstarter page and on my website. So it's like, uh, this little, this port town on the, the Eastern coast of the continent and these monsters have been banished off to the western badlands since you know hundreds of years ago and eventually they they broke through their gates and they crashed the capital city and they depleted all the resources from the mainland and finally they end up in ravenport where they're uh you know come come to stay um so i you know i kind of thought up the backstory of the game and then uh and then took it from there as far as introducing these characters uh all the rebels that are that are in the game um so so mechanics all right so that's that's your backstory so you know it's it's a pretty basic approach you are starting a guild of these rebels who have had their town invaded by the monsters and they're they're basically ready to fight back so you know it's a a little fishing town so typically there's not going to be a whole lot of weapons and armor and knights and guards but there's guys that were from the, the Moonkeep Tower that have come to Ravenport while they were visiting, while it was uh, invaded, so you can get them on your guild. Um, and your, your two starting rebels are just, their names are the Youths of Ravenport. They're just younger kids that are uh, ready to fight, that have made basically makeshift clubs with nails in them. Yeah. So you're on your turn. Uh, you begin the game. You have your small guild of three rebels. And you, you choose a monster to attack, right? And there's seven mm-hmm. monsters on the board, and you're rolling the dice, and you want the dice to roll the numbers that your rebels deal damage on. So it's it's three six-sided dice, and all of the rebels are going to deal one, two, or three damage on one of those die rolls. So as you roll the number, they, they're damage procs. So... If you roll a 2, a 3, and a 4, and you have rebels that deal damage on 3 and a 4, then you'll do 2 damage. So you first have to de- declare what monster you're attacking, and that monster is going to have a certain amount of health points, uh, um, ranging from 1, uh, which is the goblin, that's like your base monster, and then the overlord, the final boss, has 12 hit points. So right, you okay. first... You, you, it's This is the, the very basics of the risk-reward. You say, all right, I'm attacking this monster. It has three health. I think I can deal three on my roll. And then you roll the die. So you're kind of picking how much risk do you want to take on. Do you want to attack a lower monster and get guaranteed reward or or close to it? Mm. Or do you want to take the chance and get a higher reward? Um, Because when you defeat the monster, you get uh, up to three victory points, depending on the monster. And you get the currency of the game, which I've called Reputation. So as, as you go out and your guild... 
they're gaining reputation, they're defeating these monsters. Uh, and as you build up enough reputation, more rebels want to come and join your guild. So you use that rep to uh, to buy the, the rebel cards. And, and in addition to rebels, there's also artifact cards. Um, so rebels deal damage. They, they each have one of the, uh, the six sides of the dice that represent how they deal their damage. And then the artifact cards all do all have some special power. Um, so you can use your reputation to buy either of those. <clears throat> cool. Questions so far. I'm gonna keep going, otherwise. <laughs> no, keep going. I don't have questions. I like I just like so you know, sometimes I've been told I just gotta shut up and listen. Right. This is one of those times. Well I'm almost through. Like I said, uh, it's a it's a pretty simple game because that's the whole basis of acquiring resources. Uh, and, and, you know, the risk-reward that's involved in it. So there's two different victory scenarios. So there are there's a pool of victory points. You're going to start off with ten times the number of players in the game. So if you have four players, you've got a pool of 40 victory points. And as soon as that runs out, then you count up your victory points, um, and, and you can get points from your, your cards as well. Um, you'll count those up, and whoever has the most is the winner. Um, the other victory point, the other, sorry, the other victory scenario is defeating the Overlord. So, like I said, the Overlord has 12 health. So, if you're going to try to make a play at the Overlord, you really need to build your Rebel Guild around that. You need to have big damage on a couple of numbers. You're not going to be able to do big damage on every number because it's just not feasible yeah. in the, in the, um, the constraints of the game. So, you want to try to hit hard on one or two numbers. Um, dealing, you know, like at least 10 damage on one number or six on two. Um, and then you can go after the Overlord from there. So if you spread your numbers out, you spread your damage out, you're going to have very high minimum damage, if that makes sense. So, you know, if you deal one damage on every number, the least you can do is three, which means you can kill any monster with at least three health. So that's mm-hmm. if you spread your damage out. Um, and if you want to go heavy on one number then you give yourself a really good idea. You give yourself a really good chance to defeat the Overlord because then it's like, all right, all I got to do is roll four, and that's eight damage right there. Uh, yeah. So then you can you can build off of that and uh, you know, try to make that your strategy. So the most exciting games, and I've tried to balance the game as much as possible to make this happen, the most exciting games are when you've got a few people that are going after the Overlord and a few people that are trying to pull the victory points out as quickly as possible. So it's like these kind of like teams will form and be like, no, I want you to pull points out of the pool so that way the game's over quicker because I don't want Mm -hmm. him to defeat the Overlord. Uh, (laughs) And when people do actually defeat the Overlord, it's usually pretty exciting. So it's, uh, you know, it's about 25, 30 minutes of play and it's really just fun for everybody, I would say. And again, it's going back to you're not having, this isn't something that is as you said, it's not going to take hours and hours to play and it sounds like it's something that people even kind of guys that don't play a lot of kind of card games, board games can pick up kind of pretty quickly. Um, it sounds like everybody could sit around after a, a meal, you know, after Thanksgiving, <laughs> sit around the table, and you could bring out, you know, you could bring the, you could bring out rebels, and people would go, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm willing to give it a shot, knowing that you're not going to bake their noodle. Just trying to explain the yeah. explain the kind of rules. No, you you, know? can, you can explain it in five minutes, and people usually pick it up pretty quickly. Uh, it is a pretty light game. It has plenty of strategy involved. Uh, I mean, especially mm. when you're getting into the probability of damage. Um, all the different rebels have a power. There's except for a couple that just do damage, um, and, and you know then you have all the powers from the artifacts. And you have the risk reward involved of all the different monsters, and whether you want to go after a monster with high reputation and low victory points or high victory points and low reputation. So uh, there's there's plenty of decision-making uh, involved in the game to keep it nice and strategic, but it doesn't get too heavy at any point in the game. Have you been um, in the situation where, you know, I'm guessing you've, you've obviously done a lot of play, play testing for, for the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, I mean, how long has it been since the kind of the initial idea up to where you are now in Kickstarter? Uh, I started, I think, December of last year or January of this year. I can't recall. Um, but this was, um, I, I think, end of 2016, so just about a year. 
And did you, I mean, has it become a firm favourite in the groups? I mean, have you have you stayed within the group for playtesting? Have you been going out and about to different groups to try and get it kind of playtested as well? Yeah, a little bit of both. I, I actually have two groups that I play with, and uh, they all really like it. I've taken it out to groups through Meetup. Um, there's a yeah, there's yeah. a group that I found on Meetup that does basically playtesting. It's called the Break My Game Group, uh, and it's just a little south of Baltimore. So the idea is for you to bring it out, and playtesters will come and find the most overpowered strategies to win your game. So then you know how to balance <laughs> it. So uh, that that's been really helpful because you know your your friends obviously don't want to hurt your feelings. So if they ever think yeah. something's terrible, they won't tell you. Uh, but strangers will have no problem saying, "Here's what I liked and didn't like about the game." Yeah, I mean, is it is it kind of strange getting that kind of feedback from people when you know it's like your baby, basically, and you're like, "No, no, it's fine." It's like, "No, it's not. You can do this, this, and this." But was there any um, was there any kind of um, rules that you brought into the game that added further enjoyment based on the the back of the play testing? Then, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think one of the biggest ones is uh, one of my friends said, I want there to be a monster that I can attack that gives zero victory points. And I mm. thought, oh, that's really interesting because you know it doesn't give you any victory points, but that could actually help you because if you're going to try to defeat the Overlord, then killing monsters and getting victory points is, is kind of hurting your strategy because... You know, if somebody else is really, really in a bunch of victory points, and there's not going to be any way that you can take them over if the game ends by depleting the victory point pool, then you just want the game to go as long as possible to give you as many cracks at the end boss. Um, yeah. So yeah. he came up with that idea. I was like, oh, that's really smart. I'm, I'm definitely putting that in. <laughs> and, I mean, is there room for kind of like expansions oh, yeah. on the game then? Could you have like different... I mean, you've got... Looking at it, you've got the one kind of main board, um, but is there kind of I take it as a room here to to kind of have double sided boards to have additional just boards that people could kind of buy and yeah and yeah that's that's there. funny. Um, a couple of my Kickstarter backers have suggested that, and I'm all about it because I would love to do a double sided board. Um, I think it would give it double the play value. Um, you know, right now my focus is on getting funding, <laughs> and then uh, and then yeah. stretch goals will, will come after that. But um, you know, I talked to my manufacturer; they said that they can definitely do a double double sided board. Um, you know, I think maybe the challenge there is coming up with what's going on the other side of the board. So whether it be just a different set of numbers, a different array of numbers that these monsters are giving, or if there's any more complex powers that happen. Uh, as a result of attacking or defeating these monsters. So, you know, obviously it would be a little bit of creative work, which uh, I always enjoy doing, but um, I think there's definitely room for expanding on the boards and, and then the cards as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I noticed you've got, like, one of the stretch goals, you've got, like, um, pawns yeah. that people can use. Have you, I mean, have you sat there and thought about miniatures then? Miniatures, yeah, that could be fun. Um I think that uh, I didn't want to introduce anything as stretch goals that I would have really wanted to put in the game uh, as a, just the base game, whether or not I achieve stretch goals hmm. or not. You know, I didn't want to say, well, if you hit the stretch goals, then this card and this card and this card are included because you know, those things require playtesting. And if it's going to be a, a fun and balanced game with the cards, then it, it needs to be without them as well. So. Uh, you know, I didn't, didn't want to just throw other content in just for the sake of having it. Exactly. Have some standees. Yeah. <laughs> have a 20-sided dice. <laughs> Here, have some biscuits. Could have knocked yourself out. It might not be able to ship them to every country, but we'll make sure that some of you at least get a couple of cookies in the sure. post. Sure. Um, Why not? <laughs> has, I mean, I know you're obviously you're concentrating on Rebels just now, but has this kind of you're sitting there going well I've kind of you know I've made a game yeah you know has this kind of made you think well what else can I make I mean you mentioned you've got a couple of other projects on the go has this kind of uh, you know ignited the 
the fire? I mean, are you sitting at work saying when you're kind of telling people to do jobs, are you saying, right, okay, if you're going to do that job, you need to stand in that space there. And if you're going to do that job, you need to stand in that space there. No, no. Maybe I could introduce uh, some kind of uh, of theme of work replacement. Uh, Okay, quick aside. Is there... Is there like a big, have you, I mean, have you thought about a big box game? Have you thought, I mean, are there other styles of games that you like? Would you, I mean, would you consider like, is there a kind of like a deception game, multiple role kind of game? I mean, has this ignited you thinking, well, actually, there are a lot of games I'd like to kind of like consider doing then? Yeah, uh, very, very much so. Um, in fact, ever since I started making this, as I've come up with other ideas, I've kept a note of them in my phone and I've got about 14 or 15 other ones whenever I have an idea uh, or even just a mechanic or even just the name of a game uh, <laughs> I, I write it down in here and think oh maybe I can string this together after I get done with this project but um, <laughs> I, I do have plenty on here that I want to, to try out and see what I can make and see if it's fun um, and just completely different game styles than I'm what I'm making right now. So maybe I'll uh, string together some of this inspiration and turn it into a, a decent game at some point in the future. Yeah, maybe there's a game like a work-based game. <laughs> I don't know the game out there about spreadsheets. There probably is. Mm-hmm. Potentially a maybe board not. game about <laughs> spreadsheets. Okay. I, you know, that's probably the worst idea for a board game, but there'll be somebody out there that'll go, yes, and it could do this. Yes, and yes you'd be you able can. to, And you'd be able to roll a dice, and you'd be able to colour, <laughs> you'd be able to shade some of the cells, and you could put formulas in others, and that would have an effect on your overall victory points score, you know. Yeah, I've, actually, call... I've actually tried to do that in a, in a <laughs> spreadsheet, and then I thought, like, all right. As fun as this can be, whoever just creates a computer game is going to be more fun than whatever I come up with. So this is just a waste of time. No, okay, roll, roll with it, Mike. You could, what's the name? You could call it the the business spread. Ooh, okay. What would the front cover look like? Um, I I think you would need to have just a big uh, a mouse pointer. Okay. <laughs> hovering hovering over a column that has VPs, columns, and numbers kind of adding up. And you could, um, <clears throat> I don't know, it's a tricky one, because how do you make a fun game out of Excel spreadsheets at the end of the day? I don't know, that's why I went to a medieval fantasy theme, people seem to like that. <laughs> exactly, we're going to do a bit business and actuaries, but we decided to go for that kind of medieval fantasy theme instead. Yeah. Kind of um, for people that are wanting to jump on board the train, $28 looks like gets you in there. Right. 28 plus shipping. And what's shipping working out to be at the moment? Uh, $8 in the USA, 10 to Canada. Um, I mm-hmm. believe It's either 10 or 12 to the UK, and okay. uh, and I think 20 everywhere else. That's cool. And you've got quite a tight um, kind of delivery time scale as well. You're saying like estimated delivery is going to be in March next year as well so that's a yeah yeah I figure uh, six to eight weeks for manufacturing and about four mm. for uh, distribution uh, maybe that's naive that's what my distributor and manufacturer have told me uh, so that's mm. what I have reflected on the page but I think that most people know that these things can uh, get delayed but uh, right now I'm not, not planning to have it come out any later than March okay <laughs> I know. You know, no, it's not a real Kickstarter unless it's delayed by six months. You are aware yeah. of this. Yeah, that's how you know. It's uh, that's how you know you've done Kickstarter. <laughs> you have a bunch of problems. Have you? I mean, do you regularly back games yourself? Then. Yeah, yeah, I've backed a bunch of different games. Um, I've backed uh, a few that I'm waiting on right now. Actually, one of the first things that I backed on Kickstarter was Tabletopia, mm-hmm. uh, and I thought oh, uh, that was okay. when I was first starting to create games. I was thinking, oh, if I could get onto Tabletopia, I could use this as like a prototyping platform and a uh, marketing <laughs> platform if I build a game onto here. So uh, that was one of the first things that I invested in, and then that ended up working out really well. Uh, you know, I have uh, Ravenport built out completely uh, on okay. Tabletopia, so anybody can go on there right now and, and play for free. Excellent. Well, you'll need to give us the um, the link to that so sure. that we can, we can put it in the show notes. Wonderful. So... Excellent. So twenty eight dollars will get you in. Roughly an extra ten on top of that will get it shipped out to 
to you. At the time of talking, there is eight days to go, and you're about um, you're over halfway on the funding point. You're about fifty-five, well, fifty-six percent of the funding yep. goal. Yep. Um, still plenty of time. Um, if people have liked what they've heard tonight, apart from obviously the terrible idea for the board game with the spreadsheet, which we apologise, we'll go back and we'll re-record something more exciting and people will go, wow, that was a really good game. Otherwise, we're just going to have to put up with the spreadsheet idea. You'll just have to um, replace it with the chicken apocalypse <laughs> idea you had with Isaac. Chicken apocalypse. Oh my goodness. I can't even... I never ever had anybody question me as to why there would be a zombie apocalypse. It's like it seemed like a good setting to ask people, you know. Yeah, you really <laughs> never ever had that a question. I know, I know, I know. It's not like I'm saying, do you know what I mean? It's like it's not like I'm saying, Mike. It's the middle of the night, <laughs> and the boat is standing at the dock, and you're aware that there's a kerfuffle in the local town. And you have to get out of that place as quickly as possible before the monsters descend and wipe everything out. Next door to where you're staying in your humble lodgings, <laughs> there is an emporium of cardboard. <laughs> it contains every kind of cardboard concoction known to man, be it first editions, second editions, kickstart editions, um, anything along those lines. Unfortunately you have one of those bags that sailors would normally take on a voyage. And unfortunately, while it has the ability to take your meagre belongings with you, it only actually has space for three board games. What board games do you take with you, Mike? Remember that on your sea voyage, you may meet single people and uh, join you, or also you'll maybe sail towards islands that contain populations of people that are just thirsting for a bit of cardboard action. And the answer to the question is that they will always want to play a game with you. But what three games do you take with you on your nautical adventure? Can I can I take my own game, assuming this is sometime in the future after it gets produced? Yes, you can. Because it would be great to have, uh, you know, something that can display a little personality in this uh, civilian apocalypse. We haven't really dived into the scenario much. It's not. It's not. No, you've just gone out. You've just got in a boat. You probably do somebody money. Okay. <laughs> so you've decided to escape. <laughs> I'm not doing apocalypses anymore. If you're listening to this, Isaac, you've ruined everything. <laughs> ruined everything. It's all just, everything is ruined. It's like the Faith No More song. Um, but what three games will you take with you? Got yeah, I, of I would definitely take uh, take Ravenport. Uh, you know, it'd be good to, to kind of introduce myself with that uh, in this scenario. Um, I think I would also want to take... Um, I really like Saboteur, if you've played that. Uh, okay. It's really easy for people to get into. It's kind of a social deduction game. It's great for groups. You can kind of hop in and hop out. Um, just an incredibly fun game for, for casual players. Um, and, and third, I think I would want to take something that I haven't played much of um, that okay. has a lot of replay value. So maybe something like Terra Mystica. Um, I haven't Ooh. spent much time at all with Terra Mystica, but I know that it has a lot of replay value, so something that I wouldn't kind of burn out on that I've already spent hours and hours playing. Excellent. That sounds fine. You run out, jump out of bed, go next door, commit some theft, because obviously it's not your stuff. <laughs> run on down to the boat, jump on board and sail off to further adventures. Um, <laughs> what a load of rubbish. Um this bit's staying though because we don't edit anything. Um, if people want to find, <laughs> if people want to find you on the interweb nets, where can we find you, Mike? So uh, obviously the Kickstarter page. I'll, I'll give you the link to that. Um, it's by mm-hmm. uh, by Secret Weapon Games, Rebels of Ravenport. You can search that on Kickstarter. Uh, you can also go to rebelsofravenport.com. Um, so mm-hmm. on there, in addition to what you'll see on Kickstarter, I've got a few other things that you might be interested in. Uh, one, I've got the description of every card and all their powers and their worth and their costs on, on Ravenport, rebelsofravenport.com. Um, okay. I've also got a full backstory, lore, a map, 
um, and, and a couple other things. The link to Tabletopia is on the website. Um, so if you go to tabletopia.com, you can also find Rebels of Ravenport there. So just search for uh, search for the game on Tabletopia. You can play for free. Um, also Twitter at, at Secret Web Games, Secret W E P Games. And, secret uh, whip. Yeah, you know, it doesn't give you enough characters to put uh, secret weapon games in there. I think I only had like uh, 12 or 15 characters to make a Twitter handle. That's just, there you go. Yeah, so that's Twitter and then Facebook, uh, Rebels of Ravenport is the page. Okay. Well, as normal, what we will do is we'll take these show notes and we will put them, we'll take, put them in the show notes so we have um, notes to show, as we always say. Um, if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to and seeing as Isaac's ruined everything I don't know if people can even be bothered doing that <laughs> now because he's just upset me he's just ruined a perfectly really good segment um, he's not coming back on again <laughs> you know, get something else well, basically the, the biggest honour of my uh, gaming career to uh, come on your show immediately after Isaac Childress. I mean, it was. That's like... not an honour. No, <laughs> it's not an honour. He's ruined it. If you're hearing this, you ruined it. <laughs> well, it's an honour for me. Yeah, it's been good having you on. It's always good. It's always good. But as I say, if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, and we appreciate every single time that somebody uh, does uh, follow us on Twitter through We're Not Wizards, or likes the page on Facebook at We're Not Wizards, or sees us on Instagram at We're Not Wizards. You can email us, which is magic at we're not wizards dot com or dot co dot UK. Um you can find us across all different types of places including YouTube. Our lovely host Pod Bean um automatically puts our episodes up on uh, YouTube for us. If you want to find us the oldie way, you can go to uh, I think it's YouTube dot com forward slash C forward slash we're not wizards tabletop podcast because we apparently have our own little vanity URL, which is always nice. If you like what you hear tonight, please use your podcast podcatcher to maybe give us a review or share us. Um, you'll find us on Spreaker and Stitcher and Acast and Podknife and all these wonderful places, including the mighty um, Apple Podcasts. As we say, as always, if you like us please subscribe. If you like us even more, please consider giving us a review because every single time you do that, um, it makes sure that a child definitely gets a present at Christmas time. And you don't want to deny those kids their presents, do you, folks? <laughs> that is dear. I've, de- I've decided asking doesn't work. I'm just trying emotional blackmail now. Instead. How can they not leave a review now? <laughs> I don't know. If you do really need a, if you do decide you need to leave us a review, don't give us a ten, because that will make us big-headed. But don't give us a one, because that will make us cry. Give us a five, because it's in the middle, and it's average, and we're a little bit average. But the gentleman that has not been average tonight is the rather wonderful Mister Mike Coleman from Secret Weapon Games. Thank you for coming on, Mike. Thank you for having me, Richard. Really appreciate it. I know it's kind of like being short notice and stuff like that, but it's good to good to get you on. And best of luck with the rest of the campaign. Um, so there is only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Mike? We are not wizards. I'm not a wizard. Yeah, definitely not. We are defending a port against the evil that has descended upon it and we are rolling dice and we are taking names and we're kicking ass let's face it Um, and the only other thing is to say goodbye so say goodbye Mike goodbye everybody and it's a goodbye from me remember stay safe roll sixes and check check out Rebels of Ravenport um, it's got about eight, seven or eight days left by the time you hear this it's new um, and it's always worthwhile looking at something from something somebody new which is always good but until the next time goodbye <laughs>